bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. It's November 9th, and I'm Paul Dragu. The House Oversight Committee subpoenaed two members of President Biden's family on Wednesday. Also, a spokesman for the Texas Department of Public Safety recently told the media that bomb ingredients have been found on the U.S. side of the southern border. And a U.K. university is offering classes on witchcraft and the occult. We have those stories coming up. Plus, a conversation with John Birch Society Regional Field Coordinators Eldon Stahl and Calvin Clark, who will talk about sharing new American issues and scorecards with legislators. During that segment, we're also going to reveal a special half-off promotional code you can use to buy a gift subscription for legislators. But first, Democrats credited Tuesday's elections in Ohio, Virginia, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania to one key issue, and that's abortion. There's no doubt that America has become an abortion culture, but we can't help but wonder, was there enough fraud on Tuesday to swing any of the elections? We know for sure there was some election irregularity because even the Washington Post admitted to it. It reported on Tuesday that more than 300 machines in an eastern Pennsylvania county flipped votes. According to the Post, voters were asked to decide whether judges Jack Panella and Victor Stable should be retained for additional 10-year terms. The yes or no votes for each judge were switched. So if a voter marked yes to retain Panella and no on Stable, it was reflected as the opposite. But don't worry, because everything turned out A-OK. As the Post reported, despite the glitch on the printed summary, voters' actual choices were properly recorded by the machine's back-end system and their votes would be tabulated accurately. That's what the Northampton County Director of Administration told the newspaper anyway. The glitch was blamed on a coding error by voting machine company Election Systems and Software, which the county's election staff failed to notice during testing. As of 2019, election systems and software claimed the U.S. market share of more than 60%. At one point, its machines could be found in 42 of 50 U.S. states. The report says the glitch affected more than 300 machines. The Pennsylvania Department of State said no other races were affected, however, and the county got a court order that the problem was the, once the problem was discovered that allowed the machines to continue to be used. Now, the obvious questions are, how much more of this happened? How much of it went unnoticed and, and unaddressed? And did any possible unfound irregularities affect the outcome of any of the races? Now, before Donald Trump's crusade against our vulnerable election system came about, it was the mainstream media that was raising the alarms. On August 12, 2019, the Washington Post published an article titled, Hackers were told to break into U.S. voting machines. They didn't have much trouble. A few days before that, on August 8, the left-wing Vice published an article with the title, Exclusive, Critical U.S. Election Systems Have Been Left Exposed Online Despite Official Denials. And less than a month before the 2020 general election, on October 23, 2020, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution published an article titled, In High Stakes Election, Georgia's Voting System Vulnerable to Cyber Attack. And that's just a small sample of the reporting prior to 2020 that warned about our election systems. So joining me to discuss today's stories is executive senior editor of the New American Magazine, Steve Bonta. Now, Steve, I assume that maybe you were concerned a little bit at the beginning, but once you got through that story, you realize that everything is copacetic now. Do you feel at ease knowing that our elections are secure? I do, Paul. And it's interesting <clears throat> how the times have changed because, of course, prior to 2020, as you mentioned, going all the way back to the mid-teens and before, 
the, the you know election fraud that that was a Democrat story. We heard about it in 2016 how the, how the Trump Russian was illegitimate. Sure, Russian interference and all of that. And in 2018, we heard more of the same. Right up through 2020, until things broke in the favor of the Democrats, and suddenly, nope, nothing to see here, folks. And that's that's been the that's been the official narrative ever since within the Democratic Party, and of course among their myrmidons in the mainstream media. Yeah, and now I think the argument against securing our elections is nowhere near as compelling as the argument for. Now, as you know, the argument for it is that somehow it disenfranchises people of color. So the argument, I think, is is kind of racist because it assumes that people of color, one, are either too dumb or unable for whatever reason to get voter IDs, to somehow find their way to a, a voting precinct, uh, to, they can't, if they don't spoon feed them their, apparently their absentee ballots, ballots and, and, and maybe take them to, to, to vote or anything like that, apparently these people can't, can't figure it out. This is absurd, and whatever danger or whoever's disenfranchised because of that, I think that's far overshadowed by the likely likelihood of election fraud here. Okay, well, I think I think it's it's important to make a few points that aren't often made in discussions, even on Fox News and so forth, uh, regarding this issue, and that is that election fraud. And, and the entire electoral system has become such a bitter contest over spoils over the last you know couple generations or so. This is an outgrowth of the democratization of America. Now, what do we mean by this? We mean, and this is going back to the old canard that America was founded as a republic and not a democracy. And this this is an important fact because under the original Constitution, the only people in the federal government who were elected by popular vote were members of the House of Representatives. There was the no popular vote for president, okay? And there was all kinds of sk- stuff that went on, you know, the so-called corrupt bargain and, and whatnot that happened back in the early 1800s when the presidents were effectively, cho- of course, chosen by the electors. And if there was a tie or something, they would meet in a smoke-filled room and all this type of thing. All this horse trading went on and people, you know, no one was... Ha- but no one got too upset because... In those days, the president did not exercise a lot of de facto power, okay? That's because under the Constitution, Article 2, the president doesn't have a lot of legitimate uh, enumerated power. Mm-hmm. Similarly with the Senate, the senators, of course, have a lot more power, but they were, until the Constitution was amended in the interest of, of, of the progressive, so-called progressive agenda in the early 20th century, By the senators were elected, were appointed by whatever state. process they deemed worthy, corrupt or not, by state legislatures, and they represented the interests of the state as a whole, not the people. All right. Now we have transformed much of that system. You know, we still have an electoral college, of course. So technically, yes, the president is still elected by the electors, but we all know that it's really the popular vote that counts. And with that, both the president and all of Congress. You know, including the House, which is still elected more or less along the lines that they're supposed to be elected, wield much more power. Okay, well, so but when the, you and, and this is because of <clears throat> the growth of the lobbying industry and all of this extra constitutional power that the that all that all three branches of government, but particularly the executive and the legislative, have arrogated unto themselves over the last hundred years or so. So the stakes are much much higher. And correspondingly, because now the federal government's involved in literally everything you do. So who gets elected really matters because the government is in your pocket, pocket, 
-hmm. your pocketbook, in your business, all the time, everywhere. And as a result, people are acutely concerned now over this matter of election fraud, whereas in the day when the government didn't have this sort of power. And they had the Tammany Hall there were still Sure, there were all kinds of machine politics. All this garbage went on in the, the 18th, it's cent- it's 18th, 19th, mm-hmm. early 20th century. But it wasn't this, this you know, apocalyptic level of concern, electoral fraud, foreign, yeah, foreign because influence Because power back wasn't then too. so centralized, right? right? Because, because so what if there was influence and meddling? The federal government didn't do a lot that had to do with the lives of ordinary Americans. It, you know, under the Constitution, it was designed to be more or less a hands-off system. Now that it's become thoroughly hands-on, suddenly everybody's really concerned. That, that's a tremendously good point because even if there is this fraud, and we, I think we agree there is, and there, there probably is, is some always that has been, always has will affected. Be. If the stakes aren't so high, if we don't, if we hadn't aggregated so much power in the White House and and in these branches that shouldn't have that much power, it wouldn't matter as much. But now it does. I mean, you see the president rattling off like just a pile of executive orders, and that wasn't. Would you say that's a that's a prime example of what you're the point that you're and many making? other things? Sure, and that's the whole reason people are obsessed with government. Politics have taken over our lives. And so the fact that politicians, newsflash, are corrupt has suddenly become this point of bitter contention. Mm. This is why we have to decentralize more. Well, we have to reduce the power of the federal government. and we have by reducing government. That's exact. Thanks, Steve. That was great. Um, After this, James Comer has begun delivering on his promise. The House Oversight Committee has just subpoenaed members of the Biden family, and he promises there's more to come. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back, folks. On Wednesday, the House Oversight Committee subpoenaed two members of Joe Biden's family, Hunter Biden and the president's brother, Jim Biden. Both were allegedly involved in the Biden's influence peddling scheme with corrupt and even adversarial foreign powers. The committee also requested both men's wives and the widow of Beau Biden, who is Joe Biden's son, to sit down for transcribed interviews. The House Oversight Committee also subpoenaed Rob Walker, Hunter Biden's former business partner. House Oversight Chair James Comer said he plans to issue more subpoenas and interview requests later this week. These subpoenas are the first major action taken in the Biden impeachment inquiry since Mike Johnson was elected as House Speaker. The Biden White House and its many defenders on Capitol Hill continue to insist, of course, that there's absolutely no evidence of impeachable offenses on the part of President Biden. I'm going to bring Steve back in here. Um, I never left. I've been here the whole time. Are we going to see something different now with uh, Mr. Mike Johnson uh, in in, uh, grasping the gavel there? 
Well, it's hard to say. I mean, we're hearing a lot of kudos and plaudits in the early going about what a great, you know, as a MAGA Republican and all the, you know. MAGA Mike, apparently. All this stuff. I'm not sure we agree, huh? Well, I mean, his voting record is, is, I think we discussed this a a few weeks ago. I mean, his, his voting record is interesting. It, it's certainly better than a Kevin McCarthy or some of these the other people that, mm. uh, you know, not quite as good as Jim Jordan, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, but maybe Jim Jordan's better off in his current role yeah. as Inquisitor in Chief in the Pit, House Pit Bowling Judiciary there, Committee. Yeah. Oversight sure. So that, that so that's that's a good thing. But, um, you know, he seems like a good guy. Um, there are a lot of good guys in Washington, but a good guy isn't quite the standard that we aspire to. Good guy who is also strictly faithful to his oath of office yeah. is what we want. And I think... And is assertive to some degree because that's what it takes. Yeah, I, I mean, so, so he's... Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we've heard... He, he's he's kind of said a few things in the last couple of days to the effect that, well, now that now that the drama over the new House Speaker is over, we're going to get back to the business, which includes, of course, this ongoing impeachment yes. inquiry. That and was we've a, seen clips from Johnson where he truly he, believes the Biden family is is guilty or is well, very he's not, suspect. I mean, he's yeah, and he what well, he's saying, you know, this is a constitutional process. We're going to see how it goes. He's 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 making paying all the usual, uh, you know, verbal obeisances to this idea that that well you know we're going to be fair and impartial and we're going to you know see go where the evidence leads wherever that is mm. so i mean those could be dog whistles to the washington establishment saying don't worry guys we'll t- we'll we'll, we'll, sweep we'll this find under a way the rug. Yeah, exactly. we'll find a way to make sure that nothing consequential comes in or it could be that he is sincerely interested in making sure that this is a more or less impartial fair yeah. inquiry i mean Obviously, well, these, these, Biden, corrupt though he may be, does deserve not to be treated the way Donald yeah. Trump. And, we don't want to be as bad as them, but obviously, would you would yeah. you say these subpoenas are, are a positive sign that maybe Mike Johnson uh, is a, is going to be a good leader in this and somewhat assertive in bringing out the truth, whatever that may be, well, on I, the Bidens? It looks like he's not going to stand in the way. Uh, certainly, the people who are issuing the subpoenas are not him. It's it's you know it's James Comer and probably mm-hmm. Jim Jordan will be those yeah. types of people are the ones that are that are directing the respective investigations by these different committee oversight and judiciary and and, how, and ways and means. Those three committees all have are part of this. This process, I guess, what, it's all become a single a single effort at this point under the impeachment inquiry. What, what are these subpoenas supposed to accomplish? How do these work for those for our listeners who may not be aware of what this? Means? Well, a subpoena, of course, is a, a legal, you know, order to testify under oath whether any of the people thusly subpoenaed will plead the fifth, you know, mm. refuse to testify or something like that remains to be seen. I, I, I think they can do that. They can't refuse a subpoena outright, mm. although it's been done in the past. And the, the resp- FBI did it, did they? Oh, sure, people sure. People were re- refu- but well, they're not the FBI. Well, people who although defy a con- con- congressional subpoena in theory, can be fined and thrown in jail, but in practice, they get slapped with a a big, scary contempt of Congress citation, which is sort of a black mark, but it really doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't have any real world consequences. And there are people, you know, I think Lois Lerner did that, and uh, you know, the various um, Obama administration officials, in effect, refused to testify before Congress. Be, despite being subpoenaed, and then there's another level, which is an, a request to submit, uh, not to testify before the committee, the investigating committee, but instead to submit a, like a tape-recorded mm. interview. Are these going to be so, public to some degree? I imagine they know? will be eventually, yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, but I don't know all of the legal ins and outs, how it's going to work. There are more on the way. Now, this is one thing that, uh, that, that Mike Johnson out, yeah. you know, made the point. He said, yeah, there are going to be more issued later than Comer as well. More later this week. Uh, stay tuned, folks. Now, as far as the, the thing that you mentioned earlier, 
that, of course, the Democrats, Jamie Rankin, Raskin, Rankin, Raskin, 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 yes. Um, um, he stopped anyway. wearing his, his bandana, I think. Now. He did, I guess, his, his, his round of cancer They made fun of him enough. <laughs> I think that's why. Well, it was a cancer treatment. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, so, so, so I think, I guess he's, he's on the But I think he's been way like beyond that. that. And they were like, why is he still wearing that? Well, anyway. when, when, anyway, so, anyway. So, 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 of course, they are insisting absolutely nothing to see here. There's no evidence. This is completely fictitious and on and on. There was even an article today in the Daily Beast uh, claiming that, well, actually, you know, James Comer himself has loaned money relating to family businesses, like $200,000 to his brother, and so we ought to be investigating him. Well, there's a big difference. Uh, James Comer hasn't been accused of of, of getting that money from malign foreign source, sources yeah. in return for favors. So the, How the many act- text messages are James Comer right. talking to uh, executives in Ukraine and China? Yeah, I mean, well, well, the aptly named Daily Beast, of course, is another shill, in this case, an online yeah, shill for the, for, for the Democratic mm-hmm. establishment. But in any event, so, so I think... Well, first of all, I mean the the the, the Democrat or the Republicans have already created an image. I don't think we have it here today, but we can show it maybe maybe next week. This nice little image showing, in fact, where the you know the money trail from the. In the you play the, that while you were in Ecuador. Did you? Okay, with the communist China, and, yeah. And, and, boop, boop, yeah, it ends up with like forty thousand or fifty thousand, ultimately ending up going to the big guy yeah. himself. That's not a lot of money. The thing you know if, to, to end up mm-hmm. in Joe Biden's hands. And for a lot of people, that won't be persuasive. Okay, all right. So maybe he took forty thousand dollars. Big whoop. Yeah, I could use and, forty thousand uh, bucks, by the way. So I could it's too. A lot to us. I could too. But that's that's chump change for, Today, for, for, yeah. for these well-conditioned, pe- connected people. Yeah. But whether, you know, I mean, if they get to the point where they could, you know, showing like hundreds of thousands of dollars are ending up in Joe Biden's bank accounts or mm-hmm. Jill Biden's bank accounts, something you know, clearly going to Joe Biden himself. I think people will sit up and take notice a little more just because of the, it's, a, it's a question of magnitude. The principle of the thing is very clear already. But a lot of people say, oh, well, yeah, it's just, just more routine, run-of-the-mill Washington corruption. So now, this, yeah, go ahead. this is intended to build the case, correct? right? Right. And I, and I, I think there's a, you know, we keep being told there's a lot more evidence forthcoming. So we'll wait and see. Yes. We'll wait and see. It, 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 I mean, at this point, it's crystal clear that Joe and Jill Biden were the beneficiaries of some of these corrupt dealings mm-hmm. with China and, 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 and all these other, and so many other others, regimes, Russia, of course, yeah. and so forth and so on. And, you know, so, so it's clearly a pay, it's very clear what's going on. Less clear is whether the Washington establishment, including a large number of Republicans, frankly, who have been involved in these sort of gray area wheelings and dealings. Yeah. And, I mean, it's no secret that many of them, when they decide not to run for, for re-election, it's because they have a lucrative offer uh, as a lobbyist. And oftentimes, lobbyists work on behalf of foreign countries and large foreign firms and so forth and so on. So this is a, this is a, a major cottage industry in the Beltway area. And while Republicans are probably t- not as complicit as Democrats mm-hmm. as a percentage of the whole, there are plenty of them who are. Yes. Right? And- so a lot of them are all, particularly in the Senate, are already saying, oh, there's nothing to see here. Let's just move on. Because the truth is that many of them have been involved in these similar areas where, you know, if, 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 you get, if you're zealous enough and look into it, you make a case, yeah, this is corruption, but is it really something that's prosecutable? Would this be kind of like opening Pandora's box? Right, oh, yeah. Is there any possibility that Democrats are threatening Republicans who support this if you do this, if you continue to push for this, we know your skeletons too. Oh, sure. It's and very, we're going to start pushing those. Undoubtedly. Out. Hey, folks, The New American just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self reliance. It's called Self Reliance Foundation of Freedom. 
Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we can't be free. So in this Polished Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many more other important topics. The article authors are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. After this, Texas officials found bomb components on the southern border, and occult courses are popping up in Western universities. All right, parents, listen up. We've all seen the countless examples of how radical, radical leftists have been destroying American schools. It's no longer just about the terrible math and reading levels. Now radical left teachers birthed from liberal universities are forcing gender indoctrination in, ch- in kindergarten. They're teaching lessons on white guilt. Freedom Project Academy has perfected live on- online learning over the course of a decade. I get a ton of great feedback about this program, a ton. They're built on Judeo-Christian values, a classical curriculum. What does that mean? It means they're taught, your children are taught the way that the founding generations of the country. My own son Noah did Freedom Project Academy for uh, several years uh, when he was younger. The more we tell our friends about these things, the more people will get on board. and And I believe that we can be the catalyst to some real change. We must save the West. Our way of life and our culture is under attack. And because of patriots like you and your project, I have optimism for the future. Last Friday, a Texas Department of Public Safety spokesman appeared on Fox News to warn that our border situation is literally a ticking time bomb. In fact, Laura Ingram asked Lieutenant Christopher Oliveras about the bomb ingredients that were found on the border. Listen. As a law enforcement agency, we're finding explosives that are being left on the U.S. side in Texas, which right there in that picture you see for yourself, Border Patrol recovered that particular explosive. But also the, the video you saw, that's an actual gun battle that was taking place right across the river, which is known as uh, Fronton Island, which is an island that we've been able to occupy you know, because of the uh, General Land Office through Commissioner Don Buckingham, who gave us the authority to take control of this 170-acre island. Now, because of that, we are able to capture all these events that are taking place just within 100 yards, within several hundred yards from the island across in Mexico, which is the most violent area along the Texas-Mexico border. So now that we're there, operating 24-7, we are capturing these gun battles and now hearing explosives that are being detonated right across the river. It makes it a very dangerous and volatile situation when you know the cartels, and we know for many years the cartels have been operating in that specific area because they're fighting for lucrative smuggling and drug smuggling routes, and Mm. now you have explosives in the mix. That makes it more dangerous. This is especially concerning since even the Los Angeles Times admits that Mexican drug cartels are already deeply entrenched within the United States. Which brings us to National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. During her interview with Oliveras, Ingram played video of Kirby admitting that he couldn't guarantee that terrorists haven't already crossed the southern border to plan an attack here in the U.S. In fact, Oliveras assured Ingram that we know for a fact there has been an elevated threat for the last three years because of an unsecured border. The New York American Selwyn Duke did the math for us. He explains that from a conservative estimate of 17 million illegals, if just one half of 1% are criminally inclined, it amounts to 85,000 additional criminals. 
But if only one one hundred of those percent will become terrorists, that means having 1,700 terrorists in our midst. And if only one one thousandth of one percent do, that's still 170 terrorists. All right, Steve, did you keep up with all that math? <laughs> More or less, yeah. Yeah. Um, man, it seems like it's somewhat of a war zone down there. Uh, and it seems like the the officials there, at least the patriotic ones, and uh, are trying, are, are, are screaming at the top of their lungs. Man, please pay attention. We're finding bombs on the on, on the southern border here. Well, this isn't a new thing. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the couple features of the southern border that- We normally find enjoy. bombs out there? No, I, well, I mean, a few years ago, and there, there was a major uh, cartel war in the city across. What's the name of the city that's across from? Um, it's not Juarez, is it? Mm, it might have been the ones across from El Paso, and there were gun fi- battles there every day, and and bullets zinging across the Rio Grande, quite by accident, you know. I mean, because yeah. when you shoot a gun, the bullet goes it goes very far, a long way, sure. And yeah. so there were, you know, there were there were bullets falling. And this, that was like ten years ago, so it's not a new thing. Uh, another thing that people. A lot of people aren't aware of is that the southern border is m- large stretches of it are pretty much wilderness. I, w- I once once hiked down when I lived in southern Arizona. I hiked down this 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 uh, very remote canyon all the way to the Mexican border. It was about a five mile hike from the nearest quote unquote parking lot on the mm-hmm. U.S. side. It was actually just a little gravel thing at the end of a thirty mile gravel road yeah. off the nearest you know paved road. And when I got to the border. Uh, there's literally no Mexican town within 30 or 40 miles, solid desert. There's a little, you know, barbed mm. wire fence. I thought, oh, okay, this is cool. Went across the barbed wire fence, poked around a little bit in the mesquite bushes. And there and you are in Mexico. I, huh? Yeah, I walked into Mexico. And uh, in the other side of the bush, I wouldn't recommend this, by the way, yeah. as it's technically illegal. But there, were, there was no one around for miles and miles and miles. Except, But inside all these big mesquite bushes, right on the other side of the fence, massive evidence of encampments, you know, and these are mostly the drug couriers that came in there, yeah. hid in the bushes right next to the wire. And at nighttime, you know, when there were no helicopters or anything overhead, they would cross and walk up the canyon. And this is true. A lot of the border in, in Mexico is just, uh, excuse me, along in Texas and, yeah. and, and even New Mexico, extremely remote country. Yeah. So what goes on out there in the desert stays in the desert. Yeah. It's, it's frankly. And, and now we're discovering, oh, they have gun battles, pitch gun battles, and they, they murder people out there and, and bury their bodies and do all this incredible stuff. Well, that's because that's, you know, I mean, yeah. there's essentially lawless desert. It sounds like they're they're trying to warn us. They're trying to tell us to be more concerned. That's what it sounds like. Let's look at our last story here. Forget about the whimsical world of Harry Potter. Being a master of magic is no longer just for witches and wizards and pointy hats. The University of Exeter in England is rolling out the UK's first postgraduate degree in magic and the occult. According to its website, Exeter's new program will build interdisciplinary expertise while exploring your specific interests within the long and diverse history of witchcraft, ritual magic, occult science, and related topics. Professor Emily Seelove, who leads the course, told The Guardian that a recent surge in interest in magic in the occult inside and outside academia lies at the heart of some of the most urgent questions of our society. Decolonization, the exploration of alternative epistemologies, feminism, and anti-racism are at the core of this program. American colleges don't offer advanced degrees in magic, at least not yet, but there are plenty of courses and lectures available in American institutions. Rice University offers a Gnosticism, Esotericism, and Mysticism certificate. Other institutions studying the occult include UC Berkeley, Harvard, Arkansas University, Arkansas, really? The University of North Texas, and many others. 
And just last month, New York University hosted a sold-out occult humanities conference. And earlier this year, Texas Tech canceled a witchcraft class following public outrage. Okay, Steve, so we reported this because I think it's it's important to keep an eye out because I think this is this reflects where the culture, the Western culture is going. I think you look back 20, 30 years, there'd be a whole lot more outrage, and I don't think we would have this. So what do you make of this development? Well... In all honesty, this has been going on for a while. Um, certainly, interest in the occult start in, in in the West in a serious kind of organized way it was started a... in the 1800s. Uh, you know, with the the Fox Sisters, for example, and then of course um, Aleister Crowley in England, uh, Helena Blavatsky and her her various mm-hmm. followers that set up theosophy and the, the Theosophical Society and so forth. And th- th- these aren't recent developments. So, I mean, a hundred years ago, Aleister Crowley was one of the most celebrated figures in England. And yeah. his, you know, his Golden Dawn Society was, I would say, quite influential and quite popular. Yeah. Even further back, you know, at the time of, you know, in the 1700s, the Hellfire Fire Clubs, uh, Dashwood's Hellfire Clubs in London, which Benjamin Franklin was was supposedly interested in. There's always been this sort of titillating but, side interest in the occult. And it's Crowley probably, has inspired many Americans, especially oh, in the sure. 60s and 70s. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you know, it's it, this, this is a this is an ongoing trend, this sort of, sort of left-hand path interest in dissent against Christianity um, in, in Western society is not a new thing. But it's probably fair to say that it's getting more and more mainstream. Now, when I was an undergraduate at Penn State University 40 years ago, there was a course offered called the, the what is it? I think it was the literature of the occult, which I actually took as an undergraduate. This is a long time ago, folks. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, sort of an interesting course in some ways. It wasn't a course on witchcraft or how to, as, as the professor said on the first day. It, it wasn't was a how to course. It was just a study of things like Edgar Allan Poe and you know that kind of thing. Studying, uh, yeah, what's his name? Um, um, Lovecraft and things like that. So that's H. what it was. Lovecraft. But but even then, I remember that it did generate the, the fact that this course was existed, it was very popular, did generate some local controversy at the time. What we're talking about here is next level, more, more Miskatonic University, I suppose, than Hogwarts at this point. And, you know, from my own fairly considerable knowledge of, of these subjects, uh, you know, witchcraft and uh, these and, and kindred things are not to be taken lightly, not yeah. to be dismissed. There is, as, as people who have been involved in it, I have never been involved in it, but I had an academic interest in it when I was very young. And, um, you know, and it, it's pretty clear, I think, that, that, that it, these things are not wholesome, no. not good. I saw an article on Ouija boards, you know, and, and yeah. people warning about, about those things and so forth. So this is a real thing that people tamper with and become obsessed with at their peril. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember even when I was growing up, I grew up in an evangelical home, and so they had been warning about things like Ouija boards and taking lightly this uh, witchcraft shows were already coming out and things like that. But now, like you said, this is on another level, and uh, I think it's, a, it's not a good sign of where society is going. Thanks, Steve. Coming up, we're offering a half-off promo code you can use when buying new American gift subscriptions for legislators. Eldon Stahl and Calvin Clark are going to talk about the importance of educating legislators. As a lumberjack, I've been cutting wood for decades. My job is pretty straightforward. I see the wood, I chop the wood. My axe goes through every time. You remember when everyone bought all the toilet paper? 
and they wanted me to wear these things. And someone invested a lot of money into this stuff. They say I'm part of a global plan. I don't think so. It's too hot, it's too cold. You know what? The weather changes. We even hear crazy ideas on how kids should learn. Here's the news, Dad. Is it, son? Is it? What about this one, Dad? Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. There's just too much baloney out there. At the New American, they cut through the baloney and give me the truth. Visit thenewamerican.com and subscribe to get 50% off the cover price. And if you want an even better deal, use the promo code 10OFFSUB. Again, that's 10OFFSUB for more than 50% off. Joining me are John Burch Society Regional Field Coordinators, Eldon Stahl and Calvin Clark. Eldon is out of Wyoming. Calvin is out of California, and you're one of the good ones out there in California. We're, we're behind enemy lines still. Yeah, you guys are on the front lines, I would say, right, of the yeah, battle. Yeah, and uh, and uh, you know you're in the in the Mountain West, and it's a quite a bit different there. But either way, uh, education is needed from coast to coast. And so one of the things that we're, what we're going to discuss today is using especially uh, the tools that we have. We have before us here. We have. Uh, issues of the New American. We have pamphlets and whatnot. So I'm gonna let you take it off first there, Eldon. Tell us what you're holding and how it is that you use to help build education or understanding, especially, I think, among legislators, which is gonna be a focus point of this conversation here. Yeah, sure thing, Paul. So uh, recently in um, in our, my town in Wyoming, we've been able to get some volunteers and go around actually door to door with these little sleeves mm -hmm. on their doors and share these scorecards of how their state legislators have been voting. Yeah. And those uh, that are, if we can, it, it's kind of uh, not so positive for some of these, but some of them are actually pretty good. Yeah. Some of them vote pretty well. And so we're able to share that and it really gets people talking. It's gotten people talking. We've got some, actually, the, one of the votes on, on these is the vote on the concon in Wyoming, which happened mm -hmm. back in yeah, in, in Wyoming they're very good on the concon. Yeah, yeah, they opposed it, but uh, several of these voted for the concon, and and so the people that are pushing for the concon, they they didn't like that we were putting out these scorecards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, it's you know it gets people talking and that's that's the and it creates accountability things. would you it say does. yes you know because yes. now now we have we have a scorecard we have the records we have the receipts uh, the reason we created those is because there's a lot of legislators a lot of lawmakers and there and well a lot um, there's a lot of talk amongst them but they their talk doesn't always match their walk and so we create this and and we help build understanding among the public of, of who they truly are not just what they say what do you got yeah. going on there, yeah well Kevin? i like what eldon said because this the scorecard does a visual reference to how they vote and it includes the sources of each of the items that they voted on and so there's a sign to those good votes um, a star and mm -hmm. to the ones that should a have been a big red X. Huh? Oh yeah, that yeah. X is unconstitutional. <laughs> Did they take red ink out of schools now? They can't do that anymore. <laughs> it's mean. There you go. Yes. And so this also comes with their picture and their um, mm -hmm. what district they're in. Yeah. So when you go to the New American website, it refers to the um, Freedom Index or the JBS John Birch Society website. 
Um, and under the Freedom Index, you can look up both federal and, and state. state. Yes, yes. We, and we just rolled out the state, I believe, six to eight months ago, right? The, the yes, state one. it was quite an yeah. investment too. It was, We yeah, we, we put quite a bit in it because it's so, so important. Uh, and you could, like you said, if you go to the newamerican.com, right there at the top it says Freedom Index, and you go in there and you can put any legislator's name, and you look at their record, and they're gauged uh, on their adherence to the U.S. Constitution. Yes. Uh, what else do you guys use here? Um, well, with outreach to uh, different um, groups and uh, topics, the New American Magazine is a vital uh, staple to have in every home. Um, we have editions that cover current events. We have editions that talk about some of the local events, some of the nullification progress, mm -hmm. and the, the solutions. What actually has happened? It's not just an expose magazine. It does provide solutions, how we can get back to the Constitution, how we can save our children, how, how we can get out of the United Nations. Yeah. Isn't that an important one? Oh it is, goodness. yeah. We've been, we've been harping that, on that for a while. And do you find that a lot of people you know, when you when you share some of this information for them, is it new to them? I would say it's new to them Sometimes. in the sense that they a lot of people don't read very much anymore, and this gives the, the real source mm -hmm. of uh, of value. Uh, I'm going to say value yeah. because. People haven't come across this level of intelligence. We call it an intelligence report as well, don't we, Eldon? Oh, yeah. You know, the nice thing with, like, the New American, it's just, so a lot of people know, for example, that something's really wrong with the schools. Mm -hmm. But what do we do about it? Yeah. What exactly is wrong? How did it get this way? Nobody's been able to explain that to them for the most part. And so we share this with them, and then they're able to put the, puzzle pieces together, they're able to see so much more clearly because if you're confused about something, generally don't act on it. Yeah. So it, it's such a valuable tool to and have and something that's a, like this. That's, a, that's such a great opportunity because people know something's wrong, but we often hear things like, oh, it just needs reform. And I yeah. would think this is where we come in and say, it's like, mm, no, it takes, it's, the problem is deeper than that. The system is working as it's intended. We don't need reform. We need to get them out. And yeah. I love yeah. how the John Birch Society and the New American have pushed this magazine to the forefront. People are so happy to get this and also to give it away. Yeah. And how did they give it away now with this uh, discount? Well, well, I'm glad you brought that up, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me consult my handy-dandy uh, uh, computer here. So we actually just are offering a half-off uh, gift subscriptions for uh, lawmakers, because uh, we emphasize opinion molders a lot. Now, this is something JBS founder Robert Welch has said from the very beginning, and, and this is kind of influencing 101, is you go to the opinion molders, whether it be the sheriff in your town, the city council member, the mayor, or lawmakers, and whether it be state and federal. Now, I have spoken to some lawmakers, and they are very aware of this, and how they came aware of it is from our folks, our grassroots folks, and so they bring bring these to them, they start reading this, and then all of a sudden we start to see changes in them. We have more lawmakers there who have better scores. I interviewed one a couple months back in Montana. We've also interviewed Ron Johnson here in Wisconsin. His scores have gotten better, and you know what? Both of them know about the New American. Now, Ron Johnson told us he gets the New American because we tried we tried the same thing with him. It's like, would you like a gift mm -hmm. subscription? He's like, oh, I already get that, you know? But awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. so, so we have a promo code. It's called Half Off Law. 
So it's uh, it, the law stands for lawmakers, but it's half off law. And so what we do is you can go in there, you can put that promo code and you could get a year subscription for these lawmakers because it makes a big deal, doesn't it? To, to help inform them. The way that you can get this half off listeners is by calling our office at 800-727-TRUE, T-R-U-E. And then you give them the code half off law. We're trying to make it as easy as possible. Uh, this is a great deal. And again, this is for legislators. It's so important, right guys? This that intelligence we, yeah. report, 800-727-TRUE. Yeah. It is the best resource to have with you when you're looking at what's going on. And also I consider the New American Magazine to be early on issues. It is amazing, the investigative reporters that go across the world mm -hmm. to cover really what is going on. Yeah, I think so, it was Alex Jones who said, you know, while I give you the news that's happening five days later or whatever, he's like, JBS has been giving you the news year that's gonna happen mm -hmm. years later. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, we, we've brought that up numerous times in our broadcast where we're talking about, the, especially the sustainable development, the climate change, of course. Uh, we were there at the beginning of that. Uh, we were ahead on COVID. We were uh, ahead on, on even election integrity. We brought that up. We've had warnings and things like that. So if you wanna know next year's news or in the news from five years uh, later, then you get the new American, but also you guys use it to, to, to help build understanding among legislators, which are opinion molders. This is crucial, and this, that's what this gift subscription is for. You guys, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've had uh, several legislators in Wyoming, for example, and they said they really, they really like it. Yeah. Uh, especially, of course, those that are at least somewhat similar-minded. They, they are able to use it as a resource mm -hmm. for when things come up, they can explain these mm -hmm. uh, issues to their colleagues in a very convincing way. It's, it's very good. Yeah, and that's, that's what we strive to be. Did you want to add anything well, else? Well, elections, you know, this is a great tool during times of elections. Absolutely. Because then you know what you're, if you're running for office, you know kind of what your other Congress uh, person, at, uh, incumbents, what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're doing, yeah. what they voted on. And you can look up their previous years. If they've been in office for yeah. so many years, you can see what their overall lifetime yeah. score well, is. And, and now we're going back to the scorecard, but we got to, okay. we're done here. But again, that is half off law promo code at 800-727-TRU. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news.